Welcome to the Valarin Perspective. Exploring work, leadership, and value in an uncertain world. I'm Ben Carsage. I'm Aaron Smith. Let's roll. Welcome back to the Valarin Perspective. And uh, we're excited about today because we're going to be talking about accountability. Accountability is a seemingly very simple concept that a lot of folks talk about in organizations. And we found that it is actually a lot more complicated than people realize, but models for doing it well and doing it in a healthy way aren't terribly complicated. But our understanding of accountability is really off and a lot of it is antiquated. You mean like so culturally? Culturally and also I think, yeah, I guess you could call it culturally. I mean, you know, the, again, we've talked about the law, like, mm-hmm. you know, nations have the law, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever that is. And this is a very old concept and it's a accountability concept. Right. And it's very unidirectional, you know, the law, somebody else that you will never meet makes the law and you follow the law or you go to jail. It's a very straightforward system and you have very little say over it. Mm-hmm. It's uh, certainly not a system that's optimized for you being an autonomous individual with your own worldview and set of laws that it's, yeah, it's valuable for you to contribute to that discussion. Yeah. Um, you know, and it obviously in a modern democracy, you do in some way get to contribute to that discussion and that's part of the evolution of it. And so it's like, again, how do we get all this way to these sort of technology organizations of these modern organizations that we all work in now where it actually is becoming more of a, should become more of a bi-directional conversation. So what does that look like? We're going to talk about that. Mm-hmm. I, and for me, one of the things that I think about culturally Accountability is something that seems oft lamented. Um, there is a tendency, uh, like we say things like, "Oh, there, you know, I wish more people would take accountability," or um, "How do we, how do we get accountability into this organization?" Like, I need, a, I need people who are accountable for stuff, and that that sort of thing. I've heard those those phrases a lot. I think a lot of times when we make statements like that, we're really trying to say. How do I make all the things I want to happen happen? The things <laughs> the things I want to happen are not happening. Therefore, it's bad. And and it's usually a leader that's saying that. That's usually a leader expressing frustration. And and we're gonna go into this in more detail in a second, but I wanna kinda like give you the outline here uh, about what to expect. So Ben and I are gonna talk a little bit about what accountability is and actually get a clear definition around that to kick things off. Um, so that we're all on the same page about what we're actually talking about, because to be honest, it's such, it's it's incredibly loaded word. Um, you know, in previous companies we've worked at and with clients we've worked at, it comes up a lot, like we said, but you have varying views and definitions on what that means. So we're going to actually try to crystallize that. And then we're going to go into situations we've seen, like real world situations, anecdotes, stories that sort of illustrate where things can go wrong and where we can sort of slide in our views of what accountability is and how that can cause problems mm-hmm. and, and, and how, what kind of an impact it can have when we have aberrant systems of accountability. Um, you know, a, a small example would be um, we've all been in a situation where we weren't super clear on our manager's expectations and we ended up being surprised by something as the employee. And, and these are the kinds of things that can happen, right, when accountability isn't functioning properly. 
And then for the third segment, we're going to dig into practical tools and a specific methodology you can apply that will hopefully help create more crispness, better relationships, clearer uh, expectations, Mm -hmm. et cetera. And then we'll close up. So to kick things off, what is accountability? Like, what are we actually talking about when we talk about accountability? Yeah. Um, it's funny when I think about it, I think about it as a set of pieces, even right now, like when it's like, oh, what's the clear definition? Um, it is holding others to account um, or it is the process of, of holding someone to account mm-hmm. um, or being held to account. And you're being held to account for ideally some expectations that were made. Um, and so when I think about accountability, yeah, that literal word of like hold to account. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I love what we touched on earlier, uh, which is that there's sort of two threads. One is the thread of how accountability as a concept and what good accountability looks like has evolved over time. Mm-hmm. Like again, unidirectional accountability in Mesopotamia or ancient Babylon or Rome was a hell of a lot better than what existed before that, right? Mm -hmm. Like the fact that we have an agreed upon set of laws and agreed upon set of social norms and behaviors and everyone is accountable to that was actually Mm -hmm. a big step change and a huge improvement over the pre-modern civilization chaos that likely existed before it, right? I'm probably oversimplifying things, but you get what I'm saying. And then now the unidirectional accountability actually doesn't serve us as much anymore. Like we're trying to move away from authoritarian management. We're trying to move away from a single direction conversation. It actually does matter what the employee commits to. There's a commitment function that's emerging now, Mm -hmm. right? Like you want every member of the society, every member of the team to be a committed member because if they actually willfully put their hand in the circle, what comes out, the social contract is actually a lot more powerful. So the point I'm trying to make is that this has evolved over time. It's it's yeah. becoming a more rich process and it's becoming more bi-directional. It's funny, the care for the individual perhaps or the the valuing of the individual's contribution drives some of that. Because mm-hmm. if you go back again to the sort of like early systems of laws that we're all going to follow, um, I don't care if you're happy about it or not. I don't care if you like the laws or not. You follow them, and if you don't, I punish you. Like yeah. that's how the law works. Yeah. Where and even early organizations. And actually, in in the early versions of that, it's just almost hilarious how the punishment for literally everything is death. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and then you go into um, a factory environment in the 1800s, and you still have very much a like. Look, I don't care if you're happy or not. I need you to follow these rules Mm -hmm. and that's it. And we still do have some laws like that that exist in our societies. As we're working though and we're valuing the individual and the the contribution of the individual as a creative force becomes more important. Yeah. Now I want an engaged person and that means that just telling them, hey, you have to check in at exactly this time. You're going to check out at exactly this time. Like these are the things you're going to do. This is how long you're going to be at whatever your workstation is. Um, if that undermines their ability to be thoughtfully productive, um, then it, it is actually hindering the success of the organization. So accountability shifts to being, like you said, a bi-directional conversation, something that 
will work better. I also think there's a there, there's a practical output concern there too. It's like we sort of, as we've understood organizational psychology more, the way that people engage with social groups at work and otherwise, we know that when somebody feels like they've made a personal commitment mm -hmm. to show up for something, that they're actually, the dynamic changes. It's not, hey, I have to go to work and I have to get yelled at my by my boss and he has to remind me of the rules and I have to do this or I get punished. It's like, no, there's an opportunity here that we're all pursuing and I feel like I'm a part of this. And if I feel like right. I'm a part of this, like I had a say, like I, my, you know, human ingeniousness was leveraged in the process of this social contract. Now, all of a sudden, right. I'm yeah. actually feeling a lot more empowered, a lot more autonomous, and a lot. And I feel like there's a path here for me. Yeah. And and guess what? You get a lot more out of me now. Like I'm gonna more aggressively pursue those objectives because I'm personally invested. I'm not just working my ass off to meet some lofty goals of somebody I'll never meet or right. don't know. So yeah, it's, it, there's purpose and there's autonomy yeah. that basically get integrated. hundred percent. And, and actually what's, we'll talk about this Ideally, more later. Yeah. 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 And we'll talk about this more later. We're, we're sort of tangenting, but, um, when that goes too far, um, and actually there can't, there isn't authority or there's no basis for authority that it's funny. It almost like reverts back into a, a not good state. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, so so what is accountability? Accountability is holding someone to account. It's yeah. Holding someone, um, and 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 I, I think part actually, of part of what we're introducing is the the newer definition or how that's changed or evolved is a social contract. It's yeah. an actively managed social contract uh, or organizational contract. Right. And I want to differentiate. Uh, we didn't talk about this earlier, but I was thinking about this. So many people think about accountability and responsibility. Mm -hmm. And they're like, these are the same thing. They're, they were used almost interchangeably. Yeah. And actually for you and I, it's like, no. Um, one of the th ways that we view this, and I, I want to make this clear because we're not going to be talking about responsibility a ton today. Responsibility is an internal state. Mm -hmm. A responsibility is, do you feel as an individual ownership for and and are you invested in um, or feel a stake in the outcome of a thing. Like if that thing, if this thing fails, I, I will feel responsible, right? That's responsibility. Yeah. Um, accountability is actually an external thing. It requires at least two parties. Yeah. Uh, for and it to, to your point, we're going to be focusing on the latter. Yeah. If you want to learn more about, uh, responsibility specifically, um, highly recommend you, ch you check out the writings and material of Chris Avery. He's yeah. like the foremost organizational authority in this space. And then also I like, um, Stephen Covey in seven habits of highly effective people. He talks mm -hmm. about expanding your circle of influence. And yeah. I think that that's very related to the concept of responsibility, but uh, honestly, um, when it comes to social contracts and organizations, we see much, much more of the time this being a farther upstream challenge yes. that leaders have and corporations have. And so we're going to focus on that first, because, again, the establishment of those social contracts is the only way we can even understand expectations amongst each other. So we want to start with that today. Maybe we'll talk about responsibility down the road sometime. So what let's do just the quick, the brief run through. Uh, and we'll go into this more detail later, but the brief run through of how we view a healthy accountability model. Yeah. Um, so the way we tend to talk about this and, and this, I'm just going to give the high level of uh, our model that we've arrived at. 
and we'll go into the specific components of it uh, further down the podcast. But it, it basically is someone sets expectations. There is a pro- then number two is there's a process of negotiation between all parties involved. Um, and the, the process of negotiation is about building an understanding of what is actually being asked mm-hmm. and incorporating the needs and constraints of the receiving party. Mm-hmm. So if I'm the employee and you're the manager, part of the negotiation's purpose is for me to be able to say, well, you know, my wife's about to have a kid in two months. I can't actually do all this work. Mm-hmm. And you say, oh, I didn't realize that. Okay, let's incorporate that into the contract, right? Mm-hmm. And the third section is the commitment portion where uh, we've finished negotiation and then I, as the receiving party, say, okay, this all makes sense. This all checks out. I'm going to commit to this. And we'll talk about why that is actually one of those key missing components. And it's so important. Mm -hmm. And then finally, hold. The holding accountability part. Okay, cool. How do you actually come back to that and check in on that contract? If the contract is breached, what do you do about that? If the contract is fulfilled, what do you do about that? Like how basically the sort of resolution of the originally made contract. So set expectations, negotiate, commit, and then hold. And we'll talk about what all those things mean uh, down the road. But before we do that, is there anything else we want to get into around definition of accountability? I mean, there's, there's one thing here about healthy and unhealthy. Because you and I have talked a Mm. lot and taught a lot of classes around accountability. And one of the things we try to make clear is just because accountability is not healthy doesn't mean it's not still accountability. Mm -hmm. Like this is, this is going to sound like an extreme example, but if, you know, we're all working, you know, in a, in a work camp where we're all just chopping up rocks all day long and there's a prison guard that just executes anyone who doesn't do enough work. That's a form of accountability. It's extremely unhealthy. It's terrifying. It's horrible. Uh, it's dictatorial, but that's accountability. Like it's pretty clear what expectations are in that scenario. Right. And you either meet them or you don't. Right. And on, you know, unfortunately, in those systems, those horrific systems, punishment tends to be the only method of holding accountability, which isn't right. healthy. But you know, the 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 very reductionist uh, thing I'm trying to communicate there is that you can have a very effective system for accountability that's also highly unhealthy. Yes, yeah, very toxic. And and actually, we'll talk, I think maybe what we should get into is when that happens, what are the consequences? What do you see? Um, because to come back to the idea that a lot of people do lament, ah, people aren't accountable. I don't know, we don't have accountability in this organization. I need yeah. leaders to take accountability. Yeah. They're, even if you go past and I think you're probably right when you say that's often just means like, why aren't people doing what I want them to do? Yeah. What's actually going on there? I want to actually ask you that. What do you think people are saying? Because my experience is that people are saying various things depending on the circumstances when they mm-hmm. say we don't have accountability. But yeah, you hear that all the time. We need more accountability here. Or why aren't these people accountable? Or And, and I think in each case, mm. what's being communicated there is subtly different. I think sometimes it's it's people aren't doing what I want them to do. And I think other times it's uh, honestly, I've seen a form of it, which is I see people that keep screwing up and keep getting rewarded for it. Mm -hmm. Like I've seen these people have failed repeatedly and they never seem to have any consequences levied against them. Mm -hmm. I think there's another one, which is 
when I think about that phrase, why, you know, I wish people would take more accountability. A lot of times something bad has happened and we didn't know it was going to, Mm -hmm. and perhaps we could have. And so there's this almost like, why didn't somebody say something? Why didn't somebody feel accountability towards this so that when it went in a bad direction, they could have warned us. And instead, something bad happened and everybody just went about their job. One of the things you and I often talk about a lot, which I've always found really interesting on this subject, is if you don't deliberately set expectations and create accountability around the things that matter to you, Mm -hmm. then accountability will naturally be created Mm -hmm. around things that are not important to you. I I think for me, it's not even that it's about what's not important to you. It's really randomly and out of your culture, right? Like, and the odds of it. Sure. Less important. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, it's just non-deliberate. It's the accountability. Like when we talk about culture, implicit and explicit, same thing, accountability, there's explicit accountability and there's implicit accountability and implicit accountability is, uh, is everywhere. That could be back to the question you were just answering, uh, could be another form of it. So it's not necessarily that these people aren't accountable, but when I say, Hey, no one's accountable here, uh, that could be a way of me expressing. I think those people are accountable to the wrong things or being held accountable Mm -hmm. for the wrong things. Like Mm -hmm. I think they should be doing this and delivering these results and they're actually delivering this other stuff or focused on these things I don't care about or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And behavior, I mean, for us, so many things come back to incentives Mm -hmm. and the accountability, the implicit accountability that begins to exist is often based on the incentives that are created by the culture and the leaders. Um, It's funny, actually, for some reason I thought about my, I play uh, soccer or football for the rest of the world. Um, uh, and I do pickup on like the weekend and there's a pretty, there's a set of expectations that are present for people when they show up to play. And when new people show up, no one explains those expectations until something is broken. And then everybody sees like, wait, you went out like we don't slide tackle. You know, we got a lot of different age ranges. It's a good way to really mess up somebody's leg. Um, we don't we don't slide tackle for our pickup soccer. Um, that's for like league play and stuff. So if someone slide tackles and they're new, everybody's like, hang on, and they immediately set an expectation. Hey, we don't slide tackle here, and that is a that now becomes a form of accountability between the group and the individual. This isn't something we do. Um, and if you kept slide tackling, it's interesting because there's almost this, there's an implicit thing going on, Mm -hmm. which is like, eventually we're going to like, I don't know, we, maybe we'd ask you to leave. That doesn't happen because the social contract that almost undergirds, like that's an example of expressed accountability, but the social contract that undergirds that is, Hey, you know, sort of follow our rules and be kind to each other generally as we're Mm -hmm. playing. You know, yeah. this is, we, we play hard, but we're not, we're not hyper competitive and it's okay if you're losing and be a good sport. Like this is the sort of environment we're trying to create as we play this game together. And I, so that's yeah. very natural to how that, that you organically describe the different parties and how they interact. Mm-hmm. And I think what's really cool about that is we just gave our model and I'm going through the model as you're explaining this and I'm like, okay, so we set expectations after the fact, typically not mm-hmm. upfront, not proactively. Mm-hmm. We don't negotiate. We don't commit. Mm-hmm. 
We, so we set expectations after the fact and then we hold. And again, it's not to criticize that model. It's actually to call out how common those very dicey pieces littered across the floor models are around accountability that like we, we don't typically express accountability in a very mature form. And when it's not up front, you know, it's like you said, it's reactive accountability. Mm-hmm. We wait for the person, we assume like, hey, hopefully they'll figure it out without anybody ever having to confront anybody else about it or like, hey, these are the rules mm-hmm. and don't do these things. Um, and and we wait till somebody breaks them and then we're like, hey, we're not necessarily upset at first because they didn't know. But then, like you said, we react, we set expectations. In that case, too, it is also more unidirectional. Um, and, and that makes sense in that context. Like yeah. we're not interested in somebody negotiating. Well, actually I want to be able to slide tackle because yeah. blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, we don't do that. If you're going to play here, please don't slide tackle. Yeah. Um, and I think in large systems, unidirectional makes a lot more sense. Yeah. I think we have the luxury of bi-directional accountability systems now when we talk about like teams and when we talk about manager employee relationships on a one-on-one basis and, and things mm-hmm. like that. So, but yeah, and again, I think that that's a very healthy system you guys have. It's just interesting yeah, to me that works. So most of the time it works th- throughout this whole, you know, slew of manifested accountability systems we have all throughout society. We rarely have applied this robust model that we, that right. we're talking about. And I'm, I'm curious, like, what what other things have you seen about how accountability is incomplete or how it breaks down? Um, man, I don't know if it's the right time to dive into this, but what do you hold people accountable for, I think, is a big question. Um, and I, I'll, I'll place this in the business context because, you know, that, that phrase, like, tell me how you'll measure me and I'll tell you how I'll behave. I think it was Goldratt who said it. Um, maybe it was Deming. Anyway, either way, what you hold people accountable for the, in other words, the clear expectations that you do set are likely to be realized. The things that you don't aren't, you know, come back to your point. Like if you don't set it, something will fill the void and it mm-hmm. may, it's probably not going to be the thing you want. Yeah. Um, it's very common, I think, to hold people accountable for the wrong thing. So like in a modern tech world, <laughs> what do I hold you accountable for? On one end, it might be like, well, I'm holding you accountable for sitting at your computer for X number of hours a day. I'm holding you accountable for typing, you know, some number of lines of code or mm-hmm. drawing so much art or whatever. Um, and those things need to happen. But if I hold you accountable for them, it becomes just about doing stuff or being in the right place rather than actually adding value. Um, on a, in another space, you can get accountability. And this one often emerges more implicitly when it's absent. Um, people are held accountable for to prioritizing harmony above all else mm-hmm. or being liked by everybody. Um, and and again, this isn't necessarily delivering value to the company. It may just be everybody likes me and that means I'm doing well in this organization. Yeah. Um, and that being a person who interacts well with other people is an important part of a collaborative environment. Mm-hmm. It is not the only important part of a collaborative environment. You know, that is such a salient point from my perspective because I have personally seen a lot of situations amongst senior leaders where, much to my chagrin, inevitably the conversation drifts towards whether, like when we're assessing people's performance, when we're mm-hmm. assessing 
whether they did a good job or not, seems to drift towards whether the person is liked or not. Mm -hmm. Like Jim's team loves him or Sally seems to get along with everyone. Like these anecdotes start to pop up more and more. And as I've thought through why that is the case, why that's happening, it's rarely because we're holding people accountable for the wrong things. And it's typically back to the point we discussed earlier, which is that there's a clear void of that manager and and by extension, the organization having yeah. set clear expectations for that person yep. and having a clear view of what good looks like. Mm-hmm. Like you deliver these five things, you solve these three problems, you meet these three goals and you're winning. Mm-hmm. That not necessarily being in place creates a vacuum. Yes. And that vacuum and the easiest thing to fill that vacuum is the feedback that is always coming, mm-hmm. which always forthcoming, which is, does everyone else feel good about you or does everyone else not feel good about you? Right. And so in, interestingly enough, the void of, poli- the void of uh, clear expectations actually invites more politics into the system. And again, politics aren't necessarily bad. They're always present, but like invites some of the lower forms of politics into the system. And and one of the things I've tried to communicate to managers in this situation and something I've always held myself accountable for as a manager is be careful about that because you're losing control of the narrative. Like, and, and, and when I say losing control, I don't mean because it's good to have control for control's sake, but you owe it to that person to have a clear and crisp understanding of whether their performance is good or not and what that means. And if you don't set clear expectations, again, a key part, number step number one of our accountability process, then what you've, you've done now is you've invited this very vapory, ethereal, ethereally narrative in about, and you're, you're letting someone else in a very obtuse way judge them. Yeah. And that puts them at a severe disadvantage, right? Like, or it can put somebody who should be disciplined at a severe advantage, right? Because all they have to do now is make sure everybody loves them and they don't ever have to deliver anything. So regardless, it's, this is a trap I see a lot of managers fall into. And I've seen entire groups of senior leaders actually get to the point where they're literally just negotiating organizational clout as the primary thing by which they're judging their employees on. And I'm just like, ugh. Right. It's funny, the, the, when I think about the pie of how you would evaluate performance, your, how well you get along with others, right? Can you play well with others mm-hmm. in your professional capacity? Yeah. Is some percentage of that pie. Mm-hmm. And it should be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if, if it's removed, you, you yeah. go down a different dysfunction. You hit all five of your goals and everyone hates you. Promote this man. Yeah, definitely right. yeah. not. Yeah. Yeah. Not. And and that's a, that can be a pattern that people fall into, actually, sometimes. If oh, it for goes, sure. If you go too far. For sure. So there's a, you need to strike that balance. What's fascinating is, to your point, that feedback is always present. The relational aspects are always present. Mm-hmm. And if there's no other part of the pie that's filled out at all, it can, it basically grows to be the whole pie. Congratulations. And, and, your company has now become high school. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, man, I love that. Um, and, and I think that that is absolutely a problem. And what, 
again, I think it's the absence. I agree with you. I agree with you. It's the absence of accountability. Yeah. That causes that that void to be filled by the only thing present. And it is yeah. implicit then inside the system. But everybody starts recognizing it. Everybody sees it. Yeah. And I don't blame um, anyone for falling into that trap, by the way, because we need a way to assess each other. Yes. Yeah. Right? Like, and those, in a way, it sounds horrible because I, you know, managers, I do wag the finger at you a little bit. It's your responsibility to set this stuff up, mm-hmm. set these systems up with the people that are accountable to you, right? However, I get that in lieu of that, you are being asked to assess your people, right? And if you don't have that, what else are you going to assess them on? If you're in a group of seven other managers and everybody's trying to decide who gets promoted and who doesn't out of all the people underneath you guys, and the other six people in the room are just like, oh, we love Sally. She's amazing. We all love her. She's the nicest. Everyone loves all the people on our teams love her. You kind of have a shoe in to just promote that person right then and there, right? If there's yeah. no actual existing infrastructure to understand whether that person's performing or not. Right. So like, and, and similarly, if you think the person's doing amazing and you don't have that framework and everyone else says they suck and they hate them, you're now in a weird situation where you have no leg to stand on to defend that person. And those are actually the really, really nasty situations right. I've seen. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm, I'm using extreme, like, I, like very rarely is someone hated by everyone, but you get what I'm saying. If they're, if they're all like, we don't think that person's doing a great job and you don't, and you know that they are, cause you would be the most informed in theory, cause it's your person, right? So this stuff happens all the time. Um, and so, so that's one end, right? That's where in the absence of any expectation, yeah. the relational p- portion of the pie yeah. of how someone's doing expands to fill the whole thing and, and your organization over time becomes about being liked and being likable and knowing the right people and those sorts of things and encourages, like you said, the lower levels of politics. On the other side, you have the extreme, we broke everything down organizationally we just structured everything so that everybody knows exactly what they need to do and exactly what's expected of them at all times. And uh, this can do the opposite. It can actually eat the part of the pie that is the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you get that place that I was talking about earlier where it's just all about did you demonstrate results? And, and actually, it's not even results. It's did you do this stuff? Yeah, did you do the stuff? Yeah. Um, did you do all the stuff that was in your like job description or whatever? Yeah. And as long as you can always say, I did the stuff. Yeah. You're in good shape. You know what? I love that you brought that up because I've personally been in this situation. And I think actually I know that some of the highest performing people that have ever reported to me have been in the situation in their past which is if you're a value focused person and you're under that and you're in that system, you're actually trapped by the constraints of the tasks that have been delegated to you. Yes. And so if you see a way to add value, if you see a way to accomplish a goal that is different than the tasks you've been delegated, you either have, you have one of two choices. You can either work more, you can like work harder to get the value or you can ignore the value and do what you're told. And both of those are terrible outcomes. Right. Right. So for 
for different reasons and for for different different reasons. And, and you see this all the time. I feel like I've been in this situation before where it's like all the parts of my job that I thought were actually adding value to the organization were like the above and beyond parts. Like once I did all the tasks that my manager wanted me to do. And so this is actually, I think something that speaks to the negotiate part of the process, which is like, if you sit down and negotiate you can work between manager and employee or organization and employee or whatever to figure out what value actually means and devise the right strategy and the right things to pursue that hit the target most and the, with the most impact. And we rarely do that. We rarely take the time to do that. And I think that that's yeah. a shame. Well, and there's a, there's something else in this whole section is sort of the targeting the wrong thing or holding people accountable for the wrong thing, either implicitly or explicitly. And when you're a manager yeah, and the traps we fall into, yeah. When, when your manager says, Hey, here's the list of stuff I need you to do. I need you to go to this meeting. I need you to make sure this report is filled out. I need you to mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Like some of those things may matter. None of them may actually relate to the effectiveness uh, and healthy value your team is able to produce. Mm-hmm. I want somebody if I'm leading an organization, let's say of teams, I want the leader on the team to have the freedom to say, wait a minute, this report isn't actually the most important thing I could be doing right now. My team isn't functional and I need to fix that. Mm-hmm. And that's going to take time and I need to invest into it. And so, hey, me as the manager, I'm not going to be doing as many of the reports and I might not be showing up to those meetings and I may not be doing this because right now I'm trying to solve this problem that is core to my team's ability to actually deliver value and help our organization succeed. Mm-hmm. And that's where if I, if I'm sort of, I most describe it as like nervous. If I'm nervous about that, I'm like, no, 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 <clears throat> you have to just make sure you keep doing all the things, fill out all the reports, go to all the meetings. Instead, um, if I take that and if I trust the person that I'm, a, that I need to hold accountable, um, cause, cause trust does actually absolutely fit in and into mm-hmm. a social contract. Uh, you can't make effective social contracts without trust. Then I can let that person go and pursue their path and say, okay, I accept that, right? You, like you were talking about negotiation. I can negotiate with you around that. But yeah. for me, I should actually be from the get go as the manager, focusing them on the value, the vision, the success of their team and the broader organization not, hey, make sure you show up to this meeting. Yeah. Or, hey, make sure this report is filled out every week. Yeah. And we um, often talk about this because we, you know, autonomy and what it means to be an autonomous organization is a whole separate subject that we could talk for days about. But there certainly we can both agree that there's a desire on behalf of a lot of leaders and executives and companies out there to move their organization more towards an autonomous system. And one of the things that that implies is that you're more goal focused than task focused Mm -hmm. to your point. And if you want to be more goal focused, you need to actually transact in goals when you're doing this accountability process. And that will in effect, give your people more flexibility about how they solve problems. Yeah. So, and similarly, if you if you keep getting trapped in that task-based approach where you keep holding everyone accountable for getting tasks done, you're actually hamstringing their ability to be flexible in their methodology and how they approach 
the problem. And there's a much higher chance that you'll never actually hit your goals because all anyone's ever going to be focused on is just getting the tasks done. Right. This, this actually, so this kind of moves us past, um, perhaps some of the dysfunctional models and unhealthy models and into, okay, what are you, what does it mean? Let's go towards healthy accountability. What does that look like? Um, and something you just called out is, uh, hold people accountable for goals, uh, for like the big, the long-term success and that sort of thing. Um, do you want to kind of walk through the model in more detail now to, and and sort of walk out, like explain out, or, or do you think there's more we need to cover? So there's, there's one last thing I want to cover when it comes to uh, challenges that organizations and leaders have when it comes to holding accountability, which is oftentimes holding accountability is the part that we view as binding everything together, right? Because it's the enforcing of our desires and, and the contracts that we want and the things we want fulfilled. One of the things that can be great if we actually take the time to write these things down, to set expectations and write these things down, and interestingly, I see not enough managers doing this, is you create a document of record. Like you brought up a friend of ours who would have a monthly check-in where expectations were set very clearly and we checked in and we said, okay, how are you progressing along these things? This could take the form of a 90-day plan or there's any number of tools around this we can go into a little bit later. But the idea there is that because there's a record of how that process has gone and the progress of the individual, it's something we can recall that's hard data. Yeah. So then when things do get vapory or anecdotal or like kind of off in the clouds later, it's like we, we have that record of what that person's also done. And there's one more point here, which is like, As a manager, I've been in a situation before, which is a very, very difficult situation for anyone, where you have to fire somebody or you feel like you might be getting close to firing somebody. And what's really challenging about this is if you're a good person, this is like what no one talks about. It's like one of the hardest things Mm -hmm. for a manager. It's like it's soul ripping, honestly, in a lot of respects. And not only might other people start to doubt you, when you get close to that decision, you're likely also to be doubting yourself. Mm -hmm. And when you have that record, when you sat down and you set expectations with that person and they agreed and they committed and you checked in on a regular basis and you have that documented, that will give you a solid foundation and and a view of reality that's probably much more based on truth than the emotions you have the emotions they have and the emotions everyone else has. Mm -hmm. So that's another, I think, benefit of of having a clean model uh, and a healthy model in place is that it makes the hard decisions a lot less scary. Yeah, shout out to Richard Hensley who actually does that month to month with every single one of his direct reports. One of the things that that also provides in the positive, the very positive context is if you're in an organization where, as we've talked about, the relational part of the pie is sort of expanded to be everything because uh, accountability isn't carefully mm-hmm. set and expectations aren't clear. Um, when he shows up and wants to have uh, a conversation about promoting one of his people or giving one of his people a raise, um, he just lays out the documentation. Mm-hmm. And and that part of the pie, the relational part of the pie shrinks back to its appropriate size very quickly. Yeah. And everybody's like, oh, shoot. Well, I mean, I hadn't heard very much about that person, but wow, it looks like they have 
consistently operated above their pay grade, let's say, um, and you've documented that very clearly and they've solved very challenging, complicated problems. Yeah, you're right. We should do this. It's it really this was one of the things that I would often encourage my direct reports to do is I, I had some accountability. I, I felt responsibility for some of that, for tracking what they'd succeeded and what they failed at. But I also told them, you keep track of this too, because that will give us real ammunition if there's a point where you and I align that you should be promoted or mm-hmm. get a raise or something. Um, I will have something to bring forward. Um, and that really helps in organizations where that's not really done very much. Uh, it'll actually, it's very easy to get your people uh, promoted. Be, and it, hopefully, again, for the right reasons, because they've actually done a great job. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like that's because that's what you're going for. And again, I think Richard Hensley did that very well. Yeah. And back to the point you made earlier, we're starting to kind of gracefully move into the next section of the podcast, which is okay, cool. What do you actually do? Like, how do you set this up correctly? So we gave you guys the high level of the model. Again, set expectations to negotiate three, commit, four, and hold. And holding's the more complicated one because in there there's punishment, there's rewards, there's learning. What is that? We don't talk about that, right? Learning is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's go into tools and techniques you can use for accountability. So on the very tactical level, when we're talking about setting expectations, um, we talked about some documentation methods you can use which is just tracking, like whatever you guys talk about when you sit down and set expectations with an employee. Or by the way, one thing I want to make super clear is if you're the employee and your manager doesn't do this or doesn't know how to do this, you can trigger this process. Do it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. If you understand this process, you're probably going to take some stress off their minds. Now, be open to the fact that they may not know when you ask them, what are your expectations of me? They may not know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's not the best position to be in. I empathize with you. We've all been there. But Mm -hmm. start, you know, come in with some suggestions. Actually, it's not the worst thing in the world. If you come in with six suggestions, your manager's like, yeah, those sound good. And then they push those up to their manager. You, hey, guess what? You just got 90 days on your 90-day plan where you got to decide what you focused on. Right. That's kind of nice, right? And and you've also handed your manager sort of a get-out-of-jail-free card. If they aren't able to set expectations or understand expectations with you, and they're like, yeah, and they can just run with that, they just make sure that they uh, actually close the loop on that so that, you know, it doesn't come back to you later. And somebody else says, Hey, wait, wait, why did you agree on these things? But again, this definitely works bottom up and top down. I've seen it work Mm -hmm. great. It's mostly about the process. And so, yeah, 90 day plans can be a tool. You know, it's just Mm -hmm. a spreadsheet, which is like, here are the four objectives for the next 90 days. And there's the manager signature and the employee signature. And each one of the four goals is broken down into like five deliverables, deliverables or whatever. You could, there's innumerable there's ways. so many ways. You could approach that. Yeah. But the key thing is the codification of the discussion and the negotiation on paper, documented, and then checking in on it on a regular and basis. I want to talk a little bit too about why I don't think we do this because setting expectations it's scary to some extent. Yeah. And I, I mean, you've talked to me a lot, like, you know how hesitant I am to commit to anything. And that's partially because my father taught me, I think a really valuable lesson. Uh, 90% of life is managing expectations. And so if someone expects something of me and I don't have that expectation of myself, they will be disappointed in me. Mm -hmm. Um, even if I never knew about their expectation. Yeah. Um, so I'm always trying to like figure out 
But to have somebody set an expectation is to suddenly realize, oh, crap, there's something I need to do. Yeah. Okay, that just added, like, even if it was already my job, it's like, well, shoot, now it's written down. And we often view accountability through the lens purely, and I'm going to jump to the step of hold, of consequence in a negative sense. Yes. Punishment, discipline. Um, we don't think about holding accountability as with a positive outcome. It's always negative. Did you hold them accountable? We don't say like, wait, they did wonderful. Did you hold them accountable for that? And I mean, reward them. And by uh, the way, there's a, there's a really important takeaway from what you just said, which is if punishment, cascade down punishment is the primary reason we desire accountability in our organizations, mm -hmm. then what we're likely going to do is create an organization where everyone's afraid of accountability. They don't want to set expectations. And if, and if everyone's <laughs> afraid of accountability and everyone avoids accountability, then we're likely to end up in a situation where we have no idea what to expect of each other. And again, this is one of those subtle and insidious mistakes that we make, which is, again, holding accountability is about way more than punishment. There is a time and place for discipline, mm -hmm. right? Like if somebody has been screwing up and doesn't show up to work and you know, throws water balloons at their engineers while they're trying to write code or whatever it is that they're doing. And they do that for six months straight and it's incredibly disruptive to your organization. You probably want to consider firing that person. <laughs> but what I'm talking, like we all, like we don't need to like overanalyze that, right? But what we are talking about are the situations where more often we're, we're dodging this. So we don't want to have these conversations because all we're afraid of is like, what if I screw up and what if I get punished? Like, the, the, it's so ever present, this idea of getting fired in so many people's minds, mm -hmm. like the, the, the reality of getting fired for most people is way less likely than the way mm -hmm. they perceive it. And, right. and again, it's an I, existential threat. It we is. All, it we is. all sit under. It is. And it's, and it's, uh, it neurologically speaking, when you, you switch jobs, you quit jobs or you get fired, the same chemicals that are released into your brain are the, are the, the chemicals that are released into your brain are the same ones that happen when you die. Mm. So like that's, this is crazy stuff, right? Like it's a big deal, but that's another reason why bringing reward structures in and bringing learning structures into accountability are going to help move us away from that terror that accountability is only a mechanism for punishment, right? So when, back to what Ben was talking about, about how hold is really important and changing our views around hold is really important. Again, the person does meet their goals. Are we, are we rewarding them? Are we making sure everyone knows that they hit all their goals in the last 90 days? Yeah. We should be putting five times more effort into that than we are the punishment and con and negative consequence side. Yes. And if we do that, what's going to happen is people are going to start to associate the accountability model that we've described with positive outcomes. And they're going to start to welcome it more over time. Mm -hmm. Same thing with learning. Like, why do we, one of the things I've seen is that accountability ends up being this thing where it's like, we just let somebody fail over and over and over again with no check-ins. And then the accountability part comes in when the final judgment is enacted. Right. You have been deemed unworthy and are fired now. Right. right? Like that's, we don't view that as, well, Hey, there was six check-ins for six successive failures. And every single time we sat down and we said, well, that didn't work out. 
what is a different approach that we can try next time? And then you agreed, you committed to a different approach. Right. And then that one didn't work. And we and there was no punishment for any of those six successive events. And then by the time that punishment does need to occur, if it gets to that point, everybody's a heck of a lot more comfortable with it because the writing's on the wall as far as what went down. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like there you we talk about holding accountability. Holding accountability can be, what did you learn? How are you going to do it differently next time? Yeah. It doesn't have to be punishment. There was a, a major, um, well, he's probably not a major anymore. But anyway, I had a superior officer when I was in the army. And his thing was, don't make the same mistake twice. I don't care if you failed the mission. If you gave it like, I mean, within reason, mm -hmm. if you gave it a good try and you failed it, that's okay. That's going to happen. What's not okay is you run into that mission or a very similar mission again, and you do the same thing and expect it to work this time. It's like, no. Um, and actually, there was one time where I tried to deal with the problem a second time in the same way that I tried to deal with the problem the first time. It was the most angry I'd ever seen the guy at me. Um, I, and and he, I realized later it was because I'd broken that rule. It was like, and he relied on me and he trusted me and he, he knew I knew don't make the same mistake twice. And I had done something that was honestly dumb. I knew it wasn't going to work and I did it anyway. And he was, he was like, what in the world? And, and justifiably so his expectations were clear. You mm -hmm. should have tried something different. Um, so, so yeah, so that's, that's a lot about hold. Um, and, and so setting expectations when I think about technique here, one of the things too, I, you know, it's so easy to overcomplicate this and have an advanced model. And I've used all kinds of crazy systems to try to figure out how are we going to set expectations? What are my expectations for myself? What are your expectations for me? And all these things. Either person can initiate this conversation and it is to the benefit of both to do so. Mm -hmm. So regardless of whether you're the manager or the person being managed, the direct report, if you are not having expectation setting conversations with some frequency between the two of you, do it mm -hmm. and, and schedule that meeting and set that up. Um, and it's literally, <clears throat> Hey, we're going to have a meeting. I want to talk about expectations for me or for you, depending on who you are. Um, can you think about that before you show up to this meeting? And then I want to, We'll, we'll sort of see, these are my expectations I have for myself, if I'm the direct report, or these are the expectations I have for you. You bring those two things together, and that's setting expectations. And so much pain could be alleviated if just this step was taken. Yeah. And when you realize how valuable it is to maintain transparency around the things that you expect of others and the things um, that, that they are expecting of themselves, when that becomes clearer, suddenly so many decisions where you're like, you start mistrust. You start not trusting people because they're doing things you don't expect, and you only later think about the fact that well, I never actually told them what I expected. I never mm -hmm. actually heard what they expected of themselves. And I mean, if you've been the person who's like, "Oh, I spent all this time working and doing the right," like I, this, I heard a story about this um, from somebody. They put immense effort into solving a very difficult problem. Um, for a long time. And it was a problem that other people had tried to solve and had not. And they did a great job. And they got to their performance review. And 
they said, hey, I've done a really great job with this. It's highly regarded. Like the work I've done, it was some discipline-oriented work. Um, the work I've done is really good. And their manager was like, yeah, but you haven't done these other things. And that stuff you did isn't actually that important. And so, like, it's good that you did it. That's fine. But, like, you know, I want to see better and more next time. And I'm not kidding. That person quit within a couple months um, because they had tried to be so clear to set expectations, to say what they were doing. It seemed like for them, they at least had the belief that it was inside of their job description and it was the most important thing they should be doing. And they'd never actually aligned on that. Uh, or if they had, it had been some sort of hand wave. You're like, sure, yeah, you do what you think is best. Mm-hmm. If you ever say that to your direct reports as a manager, you need to be comfortable with whatever comes back. That's all I'm saying. If you ever like do the hand wave, you're like, yeah, yeah, no, I trust you. Go do whatever you think is best. Then you need to trust them. And you can't be like, oh, you didn't do the things I expected of you later. Um, that is That will undermine your ability to manage them in the future pretty dramatically just by undermining the trust. I guess, so, okay, so I was talking about what it means to set up that that call, um, right? And it's like either person can initiate it and you bring together your two, ex, your two sets of expectations. Um, and it, like this, the key thing is a little bit of forethought around what goes into that uh, meeting. What are your expectations? Mm-hmm. And, and um, Aaron mentioned this earlier, it's to your advantage as the direct report to bring, hey, here's what I think my expectations are. It shows initiative. It also means you get a lot more control of your destiny. Um, if you haven't thought at all about what you're supposed to be doing as well, like that, I'll be honest, if someone came to me in, in the, one of these calls and I was like, cool, what do you think? What are your expectations for yourself? What do you think you should be doing? And they just said like, I don't know. I thought you were going to tell me. I'd be like, great. Clearly still more junior, not ready for promotion. <laughs> like hasn't, because they haven't thought, they haven't put forward like, well, here's where the, the problems that I see. Here's mm-hmm. what uh, I want my space to become over time. Here's my vision for how I grow. Um, they're just waiting for me to provide that. That's, that's not a good. One clever thing to do. Uh, also, if you are the employee in that situation, or it's something to think about if you're the manager also, is that there's a clear steel thread uh, drawn between your 90-day plan, as it were, and your expectations with your manager. So like if I'm a mid-level manager, the senior level manager above me, and then that you can draw a line between my things that I'm accountable for and then what I'm holding my people accountable for. Um, and similarly, if you're in a situation as an employee where you sit down with your manager and you're like, okay, let's talk about expectations. And your manager turns around and is like, well, what do you think you should do? And they have no idea. They haven't put any thought into it. It's great if you and your manager are on the same page at the end of that meeting about what you should commit to, but you should also check in to make sure that there's some level of clarity about what they're committing to. Because if mm-hmm. if they don't even know what they want from you, there's a good chance they don't know what they're expecting of themselves. And if that's true and they have an issue with their manager, that could still cascade down to you. So just keep an true. eye keep yeah. an eye out on that because that, that one's going to be an important thing. Um, just, you know, be savvy and sort of be proactive about that. Maybe just poke around and ask and see if at least their manager is on board enough with their approach to not meddle later down the road or be like, well, wait a second, you know, your people aren't yeah. doing great because they were supposed to be doing these things or whatever. So, right. so yeah, so that's, that's setting expectations and simple meeting 
takes half hour, maybe an hour. Um, I think ideally you do that regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have like bigger sinks, you know, if you want to do like a 90 day one, but you can also just, uh, like, Hey, every month, like I mentioned with Richard Hensley every month, they would be setting expectations, both bringing their expectations. So then you get into the next step, which is negotiation. Yeah. And negotiation is quite simple and self-explanatory. It's you and the person you're accountable to, or you and the person you want accountability from sitting down and talking about what the need is and what the constraints are. That's the second thing that I think a lot of people forget. And to be honest, that's the one I want to like take a second to highlight Mm. because that's where most of the tripping happens. It's like, uh, you know, my mom's got cancer and, you know, I need to take her to the hospital three nights a week. And so I'm actually not working full time or, uh, you know, these are dramatic examples, but Mm -hmm. uh, you'd be surprised or maybe you wouldn't how many times these things are not brought up. Right. And they have a dramatic impact on a person's ability to show up or to meet expectations as initially set or whatever. And by getting all those constraints out in the open, you can form a contract that's actually reasonable. Yeah. Because you, it's, if it's not reasonable, it's pretty useless. Yeah. So you want it to be reasonable, right? You want to know that everyone put their best foot forward and that um, a failure or a success is, is as closely related to competency as possible. Yeah. Right. So let the person talk through what the realities of their situation are. You may need to talk about as the manager about what the realities of your situation are. Like I've been in situations before where I've sat my people down and been like, Hey, look, this next quarter, I need a little bit more from all of you because these are the constraints that we're dealing with globally. And I don't have any control over this. However, the company depends on X and we need to do, we need to go the extra mile on X. Yeah. So, you know, again, getting that stuff all out there will help ensure that whatever it is that you agree on and whatever is committed to is actually realistic. Mm-hmm. And that is easier. And, and I'll, I'll reiterate the importance of trust. It is easier when trust exists to bring up things in your personal life mm-hmm. in, you know, with your parents, your spouse, your kids that may be impacting how much and um, with how much focus you show up to work. Ideally, you can talk about that stuff and then, yeah, negotiate. Um, okay, hey, I brought six things and you brought six things and we'll be reductionist here. We can only fit eight things. Do we both get four? Do you get all six of yours and I get two? Um, and what are knows? the relative priority of those things? You may have some work. Exactly. You may have some work that your manager is wholly unaware of that is like keeping the ceiling from falling in on our heads work that actually takes up 40% of your time. You know, you like your manager pr- might have six lofty goals that they bring into the meeting, but if presented with the reality of that, that, that you have that overhead, they might say, whoa, we can't let the ceiling fall in. That's gotta be zero priority. And now through, again, that conversation, you've just effectively really increased awareness and got to a better commitment. Yeah, and this is also, I've found as a manager, this is a really great place to talk with my direct report about the broader state of the company insofar as I can illuminate that mm-hmm. um, and how that relates to what's going on for yeah. us. And that's like what you were saying. Hey, here's the global constraints. Um, we really need to hit these three goals. And normally I wouldn't push on this so much, but right now 
if those aren't hit, it actually jeopardizes a lot of uh, the work that's going on. And um, so those are the ones I want us to focus on. And I've, by the way, I've seen um, and I've been in circumstances where you bring in, both people bring in a bunch of uh, expectations and you actually end up with a very small number after negotiation, mm -hmm. like smaller than either set. And the it was because the importance of those things became so clear mm -hmm. that it was, look, if you get to some of the other things, that's fine. But really, these two things, that's what really matters in the next 90 days. We have to get these two things resolved. And negotiation is something that can take a long time, but doesn't have to. Um, the more often you do it, I think the less time you're going to need to spend on it. Uh, so that's where, you know, 90 days, once a month, whatever your cadence is. Mm -hmm. I would say if you're doing this once a year, you're not doing it enough and your expectation setting is completely out of date, uh, you know, six months later, almost certainly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, so do this regularly, be open. And when somebody does, when somebody brings an expectation that you don't understand, have patience and curiosity about that in both directions. When your manager brings something that you don't understand as the direct report, when the direct report brings something you don't understand as the manager, okay, wait, that's surprising. I didn't expect to see that as an expectation. What's going on there? Because you may unearth misalignment about the role. You may unearth mm -hmm. a, a better understanding of constraints and all kinds of things. If you do, the process is working. Exactly, exactly. Um, and it also, by the way, if someone brings something you don't understand, don't view that as anybody's failing. Um, yeah, actually it's, that's exactly. why you're in that meeting. Yeah. You know, one so, thing, one thing I want to call out that we've talked about in the past with management is, you know, part of man, part of the leaders or the manager's responsibility in this context is to sort of keep the employee's trajectory in mind, their growth trajectory. And so also make sure to incorporate when you're setting expectations, when you're negotiating, make sure to incorporate commitments that, that, that you want that person to make that directly invest into their growth. So if you, mm -hmm. again, if, if you've had conversations with this person that they're like, I'm a mid-level and I want to be promoted to senior in the next year, make sure mm -hmm. that there's stuff on the docket that's actually going to demonstrate that growth, right? Yes. Like, don't just put that aside and always focus on just the raw tasks or the raw goals. Like, make sure that they're, like, and you can find clever ways to do a mix and match of both, right? Like, part of how I would put forward a suggested set of goals for my people would often be projects that I had selected that were a valuable to the organization and b likely to stretch them in the ways that they needed to be stretched or, mm -hmm. or, or allow them the ability to demonstrate something that if I took back to the org and said, okay, this person's ready for promotion and look at these three senior level things that they did that they crushed. Yes, exactly. You're now, you have a much better footing for that. So just keep that in mind too, that the employee's trajectory is something you want to incorporate into whatever you bring to the table. Yeah. Um, and when we, I, I want to hit yeah. real quickly, um, I'll talk about this more when we get to hold. There is a power or authority or something like an influence disparity, let's say between the manager and the direct report. Mm -hmm. And in this space in particular, one of the most frustrating things can be when you're the direct report and you're thinking, I think I think I should be promoted. I believe I've hit that level. And your manager doesn't promote you and 
doesn't tell you when you're going to be ready and doesn't give you expectations of what that would look like. It is the number one thing millennials complain about in the workplace. <laughs> and by well, the way, yeah. by the way, I mean, I, I, I'm biased. There. I'm biased. Uh, I am an elder millennial, full transparency, but like I, this is something that uh, I've noticed Gen X and boomer managers are very cynical about. Um, and, and to a degree, I can understand that perspective. Um, but it is, I think that we, we do lack systems that create clarity around this stuff. And actually the younger generations seem to be more sensitive to that. Yes. Um, and, and so it's one of the places where that disparity of influence slash cap- organizational capability, power, authority, whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it. Uh, it's very hard as the direct report if your manager sort of gives you something generic like, do better. Yeah. Well, I need to see more. Okay, more of what? Well, and if you say, if you were ready, you would know. Um, be aware that's unbelievably disheartening. And, pro- and not very helpful and not it's also it's, that's that's ridiculous i mean because yeah. like again we we talk so much about we you and i are frameworks guys look not everyone's a frameworks guy we get it right um you know it may come off as overly philosophical but i'm going to take a pretty hard line on this if you don't have a system then accept that your system will be created for you that's one of the themes that keeps coming up when we talk about all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like we always, we're human beings. We are systems driven beings. There will always be a system. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a deliberate one, then you will be victim of a non-deliberate one. Mm-hmm. So I don't blame anyone for feeling like, hey, if you don't have a model for me to follow and an achievement system for me to grow in, then that means that there's another achievement system that you did not intend. And I'm a victim of that now. Yes. And that's the way it actually works. If you say, well, you should know when you're going to get promoted. That's just another way of saying, well, there is some system out there that'll determine when you get promoted or not. It's just not one you have any control over. And, and it's I know, like, and I haven't thought about it enough to tell you. Yeah, what it is. exactly. D- and, don't, and that is bad management. That is the thing for me is, um, it, this is one that f- falls squarely on the shoulders of the manager to provide. Yes. hundred percent. You should not expect this of your direct report. Uh, like you figure out what it means. No, no, um, especially, and that, by the way, the larger an organization you're in, the more this is true. Yeah. Um, you, because you're supposed to be that person's advocate and you're walking with them on a journey of their career. You're not responsible for their success. You are responsible and you, you should feel responsible and someone should hold you accountable for giving them the information they need to maximally succeed in their environment. 100%. So we've covered set expectations. We've talked about what the negotiation process looks like and healthy negotiation. Commit is a pretty simple one, but it's a really important one. And I want to cover it real quick because hold is the most complicated and we're likely to spend some time there. Mm -hmm. Commitment is really important, right? Like I, and again, I'm not saying it's necessary. You can have accountability without it. You really can. I mean, we see that demonstrated every day. You don't get to, you're not, we, we don't get up every morning and be like, everybody put your hand in the circle. We're all committing to follow the U.S. system of laws today. Woo! <laughs> like you do it or you go to prison. It's, it's the, the negotiation ended long before you were born, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in an autonomous system and when you really want to have it stick, like, and you want the other person, the, the receiver to be invested, 
mm-hmm. and the outcomes. Commitment is is a very important piece of this. And so again, I would ca- say it as simple as sign on the dotted line. And by the way, you should commit to a two manager because it's just yes. it's just this as likely it's just as likely and just as common in the greater management world or the greater corporate world that they nail every single one of their goals and then you rug them at the last minute by changing the game. And so they should have your signature as well, right? Like, and again, it doesn't mean you can't come back and change it. I don't ever want, commitments are not about setting things in stone that will never be changed. Commitments are about creating a line in the sand, a checkpoint that we can come back and weigh against, weigh results against later, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a, it is a system of protection and trust building system, I think, for both parties as things move forward, right? Yes. Like it sucks to be on either side when the other party comes back and says, well, I don't remember when we agreed on that. It's like, well, yeah, you do because I have your signature right here on a piece of paper. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So don't try that now. And again, back to the thing about when it comes time to reward somebody, right? Or it comes time to discipline somebody, you have that whole track record of agreement. And it's like, it becomes a lot harder to sort of weave a fantastical tale of betrayal and, you know, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, when it's- I was set up to fail. Yeah, yeah. it's like, no, you weren't. Like that. we literally have the documentation from the last six months of you saying you were gonna do this and then subsequently not doing it. So. Just again, commitment's really important. And and again, just on sort of like a quote unquote spiritual level, if your employees have all committed to their plans and they've all and they're all committed to the organization and those outcomes that you guys have negotiated and agreed on, man, that's a powerful force you're gonna have driving the motivation of your team uh, in the coming months or years or whatever. Yeah. I think that's pretty good on commit. Like yeah. it, you know, you and, and by the way, these three follow very sequentially. Yeah. Setting expectations, we both bring expectations. Yep. We negotiate what's actually the most important thing that and we that we can both come to an agreement around, that we can negotiate an agreement around, okay, these are the most mm-hmm. important things. Maybe it's some of yours, maybe it's some of mine, maybe mm-hmm. it's all of yours and none of mine. Yep. Well, however it turns out, and then we say, okay, cool, yep, I agree to this. And um, we're gonna go into this in a second. As the manager, I agree to support you in this. So that comes, brings us to hold and segues Mm -hmm. nicely. I talked a second ago about the disparity in relative influence Mm -hmm. between a direct report and a manager. When you commit and when you have a direct report, I said earlier, you're to be their advocate and you're supposed to attempt to set them up maximally to succeed. Mm -hmm. You are not I believe it's not healthy for you to be responsible for their success or accountable to someone else for their success. Mm-hmm. They are accountable or we're sorry, responsible for their success. Um, you are accountable should be held accountable and are responsible for setting them up to succeed. And by nature of being the manager, you are probably aware of information and resources that they are not and have access to information and resources that they are not. You need to use that to support them in the in them moving towards their goals or you should do that. It is easy to go through the first three steps and then say, okay, good luck. I'll see you in three months. Um, and it's a recipe for failure. Our world changes too much. And that's on the, this is on the direct report as well. The direct report needs to sometimes swallow their ego about like, no, I can do it myself yeah. and ask for help. 
but recognize that one of the reasons you're their manager, I, if your organization is at all functional, is because you can help. Actually, can there's them. another version of that too, which is a pitfall to avoid, which is your availability. Mm-hmm. To if you are wholly unavailable, yeah. then even a responsible employee who who feels accountable for what they've committed to um, tries to reach out to you, and they can never get a hold of you. You're ensuring that if there is an implosion, it's likely to be discovered as late as possible. Right. And then, to be honest, if there is a serious egregious failure, it's just as much on you as it is on them. I've I I wish I could say I hadn't seen this a lot. But in a, in a corporate space where we're all in meetings all the time and we're all busy, if you don't have a certain amount of your personal pie chart carved out to be present for the people that work for you and they literally can't get a hold of I mean, I've, I've, to be frank, I've been in situations where it's like I saw my manager only in one-on-ones that we did and I never saw them outside of that. And our one-on-ones were maybe once a month. Yeah. If we, if we could manage that. That's like not enough FaceTime to really, for them to really provide support or for me to really update them on the changes in the model that we agreed on, right? You know, an observation about both your and my career, when both of us hit relatively low points um, where we had experiences that we learned a heck of a lot from in the most painful ways possible, um, in both cases, the accessibility of our manager was dramatically lower yeah. than at other points in our career. Yeah. Um, and either because they were very busy or it, because they didn't even exist or we weren't even sure who they were because of other things that happened. And yeah. um, I've also and seen that there's not, a... It's not unrelated. Yeah, I think there's... I, I've also observed that there's... And again, this could just be my experience, but oftentimes there's an inverse relationship between the availability of uh, your your manager and how senior you are. Mm-hmm. I think that there's off, there's often a, uh, a belief that it's like, well, you're too senior to need that. Like you shouldn't need mm-hmm. my presence. Mm-hmm. And, um, and again, I, I don't, again, there's a whole separate conversation there, but I don't necessarily buy that. I think that yeah. the nature of the relationship changes and probably the content of it. But, uh, in fact, it is the case that, uh, somebody who is, running astray who's in a senior leadership position and doesn't have access to their manager that the consequences of that are far more dire for the organization at large yes so keep that in mind too yes and and by the way as i say those things that's not that doesn't excuse you know oh yeah that's right i failed because my manager wasn't there or something like that like no like i'm still i am still responsible for my success that never changes um however their presence uh, if they're doing a good job can really help me succeed. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so hold, okay, hold. And we, I think we mentioned earlier, this is the only part of accountability that you actually need. You can have a completely unhealthy system where all you do, and sometimes families operate this way. Sometimes romantic relationships operate this way. Sometimes, uh, companies operate this way. Countries operate this way. If you don't do what I expected of you, regardless of whether I ever set those expectations, negotiated or anything else, um, I become upset and you get punished. And so, yeah, to back to your, all you really need to have accountability in some form is a power differential. Like, in other words, mm-hmm. I have the ability to inflict consequences on you. And, uh, 
and, and that person I, and, to have some expectation. Yeah, and 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 for me, the holder to have an expectation and then to yes to enact that influence. That's it. So yep. so basically, the what we call hold in our model is the only the bare minimum you need to actually have accountability. Um, although yep. we do not recommend that. We just want to be very clear. It's not yes. healthy. It's, it's bad. Um, so when you're holding, what does that mean? Um, there's two elements to this that I think about, uh, or maybe there's two ways in which I view holding. And one is you're holding across time. You're not holding only at the beginning or only at the end or something like that. Mm -hmm. You're holding across time. You're you're like, you're carrying it. Yeah. 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 You're responsible. If you're, if you are the person who has the higher amount in the power differential, right? You have more organizational influence and authority. You're the manager. You are holding accountability in a continuous way um, to the point where, hey, we agreed that by this time X things are true. They are or are not true. And now as a result of my greater organizational influence, I can create consequence for you. Mm -hmm. And that can be reward. That can be punishment. Again, most people only think about punishment. Um, or it can be a call towards learning and growth mm-hmm. um, and improvement. And, and in some sense, you can almost say it, a, an expectation of improvement becomes set. Mm-hmm. And I want to call out that third one um, very specifically because I think most people are like, yep, I get it. You know, I said I was going to do these five things. I got them all done. And it may be even more. You should reward me for that. Or I said I was going to do these five things and I could have done them, but I didn't do my job well. And I only did one of them. And okay, I should be somehow disciplined or punished. Um, we all kind of understand that intuitively. The third one, and actually I think the most powerful one for the long-term success of the manager and the individuals being managed is the learn and the um, the call to improvement. One of the reasons I want to focus on this, when you first start setting expectations and you go through negotiating and committing and you get to holding, it's likely that you were both wrong about how much work could get done mm-hmm. in one way or the other. It's also likely that between the time you set those and the time they were supposed to be completed, the world changed in some meaningful way because it's constantly changing in some meaningful way. Orienting towards learning and orienting towards, hey, we need to improve this. You need to improve how you performed at these things means that people can fail and it not be catastrophic. It means that even in a case where somebody didn't Mm -hmm. achieve everything that they were supposed to, it doesn't mean that, well, our only logical option is punishment now because you have failed and the hammer of justice must now come down upon you. Um, There are times for that. There are times where that's important. People sometimes do need to be fired. And actually, if you do it properly, when someone's fired, it's the best thing for both that person and the organization. Again, if it's done well, I, I really believe that. But well before that, there should be multiple cycles of what are we learning? How are we calling ourselves to improve? Um, when we do the holding, um, and there, there's the resetting of expectations and you keep doing the cycle. Um, so that, that was something I wanted to make sure we talked about. When we yeah, of course. Like I, I, I love that too. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, 
that is an active statement from leadership that we're going to invest in growth too. Mm -hmm. We're going to invest in people. One of the, I've been thinking as we've been talking about this, about the relationship, when we're talking about holding the relationship between rewards and reward and punishment. Mm -hmm. And actually, I think that those two things are much more indicative of the way an organization behaves and they're actually far more related. And I'm, I'm realizing that, again, I would make a generalization and say that we're far less good at rewarding people mm-hmm. within the context of accountability as we are at punishing people. And I, the question that popped up in my head is, why is that the case? And I think it's lazy management, honestly. Um, I, think, I think that it's lazy management. And here's what I mean when I say that. If we only react or only enforce accountability when uh, some kind of boundary is broken, some, something goes wrong, it generally implies a lot less work. Hmm. And, it, and, it, and it, puts, it puts us in a model that we're very used to, I think, all of us, especially in America, which is like, if you're doing their job, congratulations, you're doing your job. Do you want a sticker? Do you want a sun sticker? Do you want a medal for that? Like it, or, but it, like, just don't fail, right? But you know what's interesting is, and again, that as long as that model is in place, the managers only have to worry about the people who are clearly failing. They don't have to think about anything else. Mm. Whereas a proactive reward-based strategy actually probably implies a lot more attentiveness on behalf of managers, right? A lot more focus on like, well, we've got to find the people who are crushing it and reward them, which if your organization is even decent is probably more than the people who are failing, right? Right. So one of the things that came to mind was the scene in Office Space where Peter is talking to the Bobs, the consultants, and they're just like, you know, what's going on, Peter? Like, why don't you care? And he was like, you know, Bobs, it's a matter of incentive. Every time I make a mistake, I have three bosses Three bosses, three bosses, Bob, come into my desk to tell me about it. And you know what, though? The only thing that's going to incentivize me to do is just work hard enough to not get fired. So or not get or to work hard enough to not get yelled at. Mm -hmm. And like that's the lowest common denominator strategy that you're actually influencing through the way you hold accountability. And so. One of the things I've realized is, and it's hard to do, it requires a lot of effort and attentiveness and focus. As a manager, if you get to a reward-based strategy where your people start to realize that if they crush it, they're going to get rewarded in a very tangible way, Mm -hmm. like all of a sudden you are putting yourself and your org very far away from the danger of becoming the lowest common denominator problem. Right. Because that in anybody who's even on the verge of failing knows that all they have to do is start crushing it and they're going to get rewarded and it's going to happen immediately and tangibly and meaningfully. And so I think it is a more proactive strategy for managers to focus on a more rewards based strategy, but I actually think it's more effective at not just avoiding failure, but also encouraging hyperperformance. Yes. Well, man, there's so much. That's a, oh, we're, we're too far in. There's so <laughs> much here. I kind of want to talk about this more because um, for me, as you're describing that, I love the description of it as a lowest common denominator problem. Um, and I think it actually relates to our risk aversion instead of our gain happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, as a manager, if all my people are doing fine, then I'm doing fine. Mm-hmm. As a manager, if couple of my people are doing great, a couple of them are doing fine, and one's doing really badly, I'm doing badly. Mm -hmm. 
or I might be perceived as doing badly because I've got I've got a problem I have to deal with. Mm-hmm. There's also a thing because you said lazy management. For me, it's how much time are we giving managers and are they choosing to invest into management? Well, that's another thing too. And I, you know, uh-huh. I'm being cheeky when I say lazy yeah. management, but the reality yeah. is um, there it's, it is true in most organizations, I would say that you are not allowed to drop being a busy bee to drop your task work simply because you have a bunch of direct reports. Yeah. And it's not uncommon that, you work at an organization where if you were to sit down with your executive manager or your director manager and say, hey, look, I need to focus on growing my people. And so that takes up 40% of my time that that's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. Like, why should it take you that long? It's just a couple one on ones. Right. You know, but and again, maybe 40% is not the right number, but you, you it doesn't matter. It's, it's you really take my meaning. It's not again, it's a prioritization. Exactly. It's a prioritization question. Yeah. I'm going to choose to do this. And that means I'm not going to be doing those other things. Yeah. And over time, my expectation of that as a manager is that I force multiply my organization mm-hmm. dramatically. Yeah. But if all of the organizational incentives are me to keep doing my own task work, keep my own nose clean, you know, this is that thing about middle management, um, the, the much maligned middle management layer, uh, where it's very difficult to be perceived as highly successful and it's very easy to be perceived as failing. Yes. Um, because you're in this sort of no man's land of accountability mm-hmm. to, to direct outcomes. And by the way, that's why it's even more important. Like if there's one group of people, I would say, take this model and run with it. It's middle management because that's going to cut through a lot of that ambiguity, right? Like you'll have documentation across your entire organization. Again, I I hate documentation, but you know what I'm saying? You'll have a record across your organization of all the stuff people, cool, all the cool shit people are doing, all the cool commitments that they made, all the goals that you set and how they were consistent across the board, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And now you've, you know, you've taken what could be a very highly ambiguous, ambiguous role and you've created clarity from that. Right. And you've created results. You've created a system that generates results and where everyone's on the same page. It's a beautiful thing. Like it really does work. Um, and you know, unless there's anything else, I think, um, we, we should probably close up. Yeah. I think we, let's see, thinking about hold, we talked about reward. Yeah. Um, punishment is mostly understood. We could have gone more into that, but I think we also talked about the learning and the improvement. Yeah. So yeah, just to recap real quick, we talked about, um, what is accountability? And then, um, we went into some of the patterns we see around it when it's not present or when it's present in a way that may not be helpful or when you hold people accountable for the wrong things. Then, uh, we actually started walking through the model that we use around accountability, which is one set expectations two negotiate three, commit, and four, hold, um, and tried to walk through what that might look like and some of the ways that you can do that, both as a manager and as a direct report. And remember, I guess if you're going to take anything away from this, I would say accountability is not just about punishment, um, and accountability always exists to something. So keep those things in mind and be deliberate and remember to reward your people. Love it. Well, we'll see you all next time. Thanks for joining us for the Valaran Perspective. This has been the Valaran Perspective. We'd love to hear your thoughts at perspectives at valarinconsulting.com. That's V-A-L-A-R-I-N consulting.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Valaran Inc.